Hello and welcome to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. I'm Martha Sutsui Billens, and today's episode is about fieldwork in the time of COVID-19 with Gillam Belmar. Gillam Belmar is pursuing his PhD at UC Santa Barbara. He obtained his BA at the Autonomous University of Barcelona and his MAs at the National Distance Education in Spain and the University of Groningen. He focuses his research on language revitalization strategies, as well as documentation of endangered or minoritized languages. He has worked on language promotion for many European languages and runs the hashtag Europe Minority Languages project on social media. He is currently involved with the project, maintaining indigenous languages within immigrant Oaxacan communities in the United States. And I wanted to have Gillam come on Field Notes today because he made this status on Facebook where he expressed concern about people who were planning to go into the field right now or in the coming months once the travel restrictions lift. And to me, I was quite shocked by it because I had thought that it was kind of common sense to to not go to the field right now because indigenous communities or communities who have uh, endangered or underdocumented languages are usually marginalized in other ways and thus very vulnerable. But I thought that this was a good topic to discuss on the podcast. And uh, disclaimer, we are not uh, healthcare experts or epidemiologists. So in short, we're, we're not trying to tell people what to do, but rather we want to bring more awareness to these issues and start having these conversations in our field. Thank you so much for coming on Field Notes. So first off, can you just give a brief summary of who you are and your work? Oh, okay. Um, well, so my name is Guillermo Belmar. I... I'm doing a PhD now at University of California, Santa Barbara, and I'm mostly interested in language revitalization and documentation of minoritized and endangered languages. And I have been working on revitalization for a while in different languages back in Europe, and also on revitalization online, as like use of minoritized languages on social media and and website resources in general. And... Now, here, I'm mostly involved in documentation of Oaxacan indigenous languages in the diaspora community here in California. Yeah, mostly mostly that now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Oh, that's interesting that you work with diaspora speakers. Okay, so to start to get into our discussion, you made a Facebook status that like blew my mind. I did not realize that people actually thought that they could be making field trip plans right now. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, like, to be honest, I I have been talking to some friends and some colleagues that, like, they did have uh, field work plans for, for this summer and they are looking forward to doing those whatever they can. And 
I haven't given it a lot of thought, like mostly because now I work with diaspora communities, right? So we are in lockdown, but we're still working online and we know that eventually at some point we may be able to start working again because they, they live right here or the town next to Santa Barbara. So it's not like flying somewhere super remote to get to them. Um, and And yesterday I was... Yesterday, no, it wasn't yesterday, but like the other day I was just looking at some news and I saw that um, the first officially reported cases of people dying from coronavirus in Amazon Amazonian tribes, um, they have been reported officially in, in Brazil. And I, and I started thinking, oh God, like the moment we start going there, this is going to be even worse. Um, and it's not like it, that will be the first time that happens, right? Like... We know that linguists and anthropologists going to the field have uh, brought many diseases to these to these places, and and I thought, you know, like if I can at least convince some of my friends to not do that, or some of my colleagues to not do that, that um, that'd be already okay. You don't even have to go very far away. Like even here in the in the U.S., the reservations have been hit very hard. What was the 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 justification was they had already made plans and so they were just like trying to keep the plans that they had already made it wasn't like they saw that the flights were cheap right now and they like wanted to book a trip to the field right mm. no i haven't seen anyone uh thinking that the flights are cheaper so let's just go now uh, i think it's more of a either i already had plans or or people that are just about to finish their whole dissertation and need one more trip and they just don't know how what to do now and i get it like it's it's a lot of rethinking your whole project but we will all have to do that yeah yeah definitely um yeah when i initially heard you talking about this my my first reaction was wow these people are monsters but actually like the more i thought about it um i started to think like they must, people must not realize the risk, right? Like, they must not yeah. be thinking that there's actually this, like, chance that there could be such devastating consequences. They must think that they can get away with it. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I don't think they're monsters or anything. I think it's, uh, for, for most of us, it's still difficult to comprehend what's happening and really understand the consequences of what's happening and really be aware of the fact that like normal international traveling will take some years to restore and and we're still not aware of that and we still think that it will be you know like maybe a few more months maybe a year until we get the vaccine and then things will go back to normal but one thing is that we get the vaccine and then the other thing is that everyone gets a vaccine and that we know it's not going to happen anytime soon um and we 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 just have to be very careful with with these things. Um, you don't want to be the one that goes to a community and just infects everyone. You really don't want to be that person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can we like talk a little bit? Like, I want to make it clear that we're like not trying to police other people, but we just want to like have this conversation because I think a lot of people aren't thinking about it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why the coronavirus is even more dangerous for speakers and for communities that speak underdocumented or minority languages. So to start, um, like access to healthcare, 
I can give an example from Amami, where I work.、Um, even though it's Japan, which everybody is technically Japan, which people think of as being like a very developed country, in the islands there are not a lot of hospitals, and some of the islands don't have hospitals at all. So, like, if this were to hit、uh, those islands, then people would have to get on like a boat to get to. The bigger islands that actually have healthcare, and they just don't have—they don't have enough beds, they don't have enough space, so they would not be prepared for this situation at all. Yeah, I mean, it just—it just the same old hole as、uh, as always. Like minoritized communities tend to live in the peripheries of societies, whatever that is, and that is the places that have the least access to healthcare and any other resource, actually. Yeah, and more fragile economies as well. Exactly. Yeah.、Um, like even, even even here, like I I told you before, I work now mostly with diaspora speakers, and most of them are still working because they work in the field, so they're still working every day, no gloves, no masks, just working on the field, collecting the fruit that then you buy in the supermarket. Oh gosh, it's so tough. Also, the.、Um... Like the lack of information about the virus, so I saw that the Endangered Languages Project is trying to crowdsource、uh, information about COVID nineteen in as many languages as possible. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that, and、um, actually, it's like something that、uh, that the the speakers that、uh, the community of speakers that I kind of collaborate with.、Uh, They they started something similar and they've been、um, doing like videos、uh, with information in Mistech、uh, about the coronavirus and about some health practice and some hygiene practices that they they should follow and there's a lot of stuff happening like from the communities themselves also trying to get as much information as possible outside but it's also again like this is restricted because of access to access to internet in general like not everyone. Can see these things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, not everyone has access to internet or like technology literacy.、Um, and even if, like, you know, I think the Endangered Language Project is up to over a hundred languages now. But when you consider there are like seven thousand languages, then、yeah. it's just a drop in the bucket, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's only that much that we can do, of course, and it's、uh, it's difficult to get all this information outside in all these languages.、Um, And also, it's difficult to make it available for everyone that would actually benefit from this. To what point we're actually doing something that is available to the speakers, or we're just collecting some curious list of languages?、Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And the situation is always changing as well. Like as we get more information, then then that has to be like you know maybe retranslated, and it's just impossible to keep up. Yeah, it, it's it's impossible. I mean, only a month ago we we thought it would be like I don't know a few weeks or a month of lockdown, and now we're looking at probably much much longer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm in Seattle now, which was like very heavily hit by the virus. But if you're in like a less infected area, or if you're in an, in an area that like hasn't been infected at all, like people might think like,、oh, okay, well it's safe for me to go. But then 
one, you have to go through the airport, which the airport is like having people from all over the world, right? And it's just like a total Petri dish. And then from your airport, you're, you're probably flying into the capital city of, you know, the country where you're working with, uh, where the community lives. And then the capital city is also going to have like so many germs that, the community would otherwise maybe not interact with. So you're like picking up germs from like your home airport and then the capital city airport. And then you're going into the village and you're just like at this point covered in germs. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and also just, just also be careful that the fact that cases have not been reported in your area doesn't mean that there are no cases. Like people are not getting tested everywhere. So we don't know exactly how many people actually have it, have had it. Maybe maybe I have already had it and I didn't know. Because not everyone gets symptoms or some people get very mild symptoms. So it's very difficult to really know. And we won't know until, I don't know, maybe for some years, until we start testing for antibodies in everyone. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. So just, like, if you want to do stuff... Um, if if you are working with diaspora speakers or are close to your community... Just be careful the the moment things start getting a little bit better and they, the health experts start telling you that you can go out and meet people. Maybe you can start doing that, but just be very careful. And maybe still just like wear protective stuff for a while and wash everything super carefully, disinfect stuff. Uh, just be very careful. And I would suggest postponing international fieldwork for at least one or two years. And I know it's very hard to say this and it's difficult to predict and maybe it's not necessary two years, but I would start planning in case it is necessary. Yeah, I think it's hard for like us, but like even anyone to say like, when will it be safe? Because no, definitely. like, well, you and I are not epidemiologists, but also like, no, the situation no, is always, we <laughs> yeah, we are not, um, very much not epidemiologists, but the situation is just changing all the time, isn't it? So who, yeah. I don't, I don't really know how we can say like, well, you can go to the field at this point, but I think just by like talking about the situation will make more people think twice and give pause before they make their plans and. Yeah book their trips um can we so you have already mentioned your work with diaspora speakers but maybe we can maybe we can give some suggestions about how people can get their work done if they're like you said like just about to get their get their degrees finished and they just need like that one more field trip i mean one one first obvious thing is if you are in that situation that we you just need one more field trip to finish your thesis Maybe just have a look at your project and reconsider it. Can we? Can you be finished with the data you already have? Maybe you can. Maybe you just need to change a couple of stuff, or maybe there are some things that you won't be 100% certain about, but that's okay. Your thesis is not the end of your career. So if you can finish with the data you have, maybe just go with it. Um, otherwise, they're like, if you can do it, you can do stuff online. Then it's a bit clunky in the beginning, 
to do like transcriptions and stuff like this and share screens all the time and it's not ideal but you can you can pull it off if you have a speaker that is you know like able to do all these things uh, for because access to internet and um, technology literacy and all these things but if you can do that that's that's a good stuff um you could even if if the speakers you work with have a recorder and they um and they know how to send you recordings maybe they don't know how to skype or zoom with you and do transcription sessions with you but they can send you recordings that's already something you can start doing um or you can work with materials that are already available on the web yeah definitely like uh elar and paradisac and isla like all have tons of archive data that people can work with and i think actually elar just did a blog post about someone who did their master's dissertation based off of like all archive data good yeah Okay. And I, I know I know it's not ideal and it's not like what all of us were hoping for when we when we started doing these projects. But it's okay. Um again, this is not the end of your career, so you may get to do all these things that you want to do later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Like we just need to accept that some of our projects may have to change for the immediate future. Yeah. And, you know, these are unprecedented times, so we need to be a little bit flexible. Like, research doesn't wait, but, like, we can make choices and we should make safe choices. Exactly. Um, don't think about you and your research and think about, you know, like, global health, maybe. <laughs> think about the well-being of the people you work with. Um, yeah. Even, I mean, that, that's that's more important than, than your research, so... Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you said that before, like we're not, I'm not trying to police anyone or I'm not trying to call on anyone and be like, oh, you're such a bad person. You're horrible because you're thinking about these things. That's not my intention here at all. Um, it just, just a, some food for thought and some invitation to consider these things critically for the foreseeable future. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, like, maybe this might be a good opportunity. Like, it's a horrible situation in almost every way, but in some ways, it might be an opportunity for people, for linguists who are already in the community as insider researchers to, you know, have a chance to work with the people that they are already living with in their communities, especially if their communities are not affected by the coronavirus and they can actually work with their neighbors and work with the wider community. Yes, definitely. Like all these things that we always say about empowering these speakers and make them do the, like help them do the, the whole research and help them take agency and control over these things. And we just helping now, now it, this is what we can do. We can just help remotely and let them control the whole thing and that i that's that's probably what we should be aiming for and it may not be easy at first because as you said like there's a lot of changes that need to happen for this and academia is sometimes not the most flexible environment but but we we can do this we can work around some loopholes and and do this yeah yeah and i think like we should be holding one another accountable as well is there anything else you want to say, Gillam? Oh, well, I mean, I, I, I can just launch an invitation to anyone who, can, who wants to work on 
use of minority languages online. Um, I have a group of young researchers that look at how virtual communities can function as breathing spaces for minoritized languages. So if you're interested in that, something you can do from your house in quarantine, you don't have to go anywhere. So just reach out and we can tell you all about it and you can join and do this for the language you work with. Oh, that's so cool. I'll link, is it a website or? No, yeah, they can, they can just email me. Uh, I share stuff on my Twitter account. Um, well, all of us have Twitter accounts, of course, like we work with social media, but um, yeah, we we were going to set up a, a mailing list, but it never took off and we, everything got crazy now. So we'll see if it ever happens. But um, but yeah, we're we would be super happy to have more people work with this. Yeah. What's your Twitter Twitter handle? I'll put it in the show notes. It's at Guillaume Belmar. So just my name and my first last name. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I'll link your, is it okay if I link your email as well and people can reach you there? Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Guillaume, for coming on Field Notes. Thank you for inviting me. You've been listening to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. This podcast is hosted and produced by Martha Satsui Billens with production help from Laura Satsui. Our music is by Lobo Loco, and our logo is by Evil Designs. If you have a question or fieldwork experience to share, you can email us at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ling Field Notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an Apple Podcast review. Thanks for listening. Thank you.